This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Jen. I'm looking forward to our topic today. Great. And so today, what we're going to be talking about, let's just launch right into it, is we're going to be talking about the situation that came up around Chloe Dykstra, or Dick. I said it wrong Dykstra, already. Dykstra, no, yeah. no, you're right. You're right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Chris Hardwick. And Chloe came out with a piece on Medium talking about her experience with what she termed a sort of long-standing experience with abuse in the relationship she had with him. And she called it rose-colored glasses, a confession. And I think what it's brought up is a lot of questions again around, you know, did this happen? Did it not happen? And you and I don't want to focus on that aspect. We really want to take a deeper dive and look into some of the different mechanisms of abuse and how we as a society tend to address these situations. Yes. And, and when I read the article, and I thank you really for pointing it out, Jen, it's something that you and I as therapists deal with a lot, that we're dealing with individuals coming in who have maybe abuse ongoing in their families or relationships. It can be child abuse experience. It can be all abuse by an a partner. So there's a range of really different activities. And then how do we work with the person to really help them address some of the issues of abuse and what mechanisms of uh, ignoring it, denying it, not being present with that are really going on. There's a lot of them. Yeah. And I just want to point out that in one of the reasons I believe that she chose to talk about the rose-colored glasses is because of the quote where when you're looking through rose-colored glasses, you can't notice any of the red flags that are there. And I think that's sort of what we're talking about, though, is what are those flags and how do we learn to be able to recognize them? Because I think as a society, we have a pattern of really excusing a lot of abusive behavior as it begins. And then you feel you're in too deep before you're able to kind of start really seeing it and extricating yourself from a situation. When it brings up the rose-colored glasses, bring up uh, a lot of different things uh, for me. But Edith Piaf's songs, uh, La Vie en Rose, where especially French women are encouraged to look at life from a glowing, pink, happy perspective. You know, it's almost as if they're enculturated that way. It's similar, I think, to what Chloe is writing about, that women in America, too, have to take on the caretaking function. So partly that obscures their vision of their partnerships. Yeah, I think it it's so fascinating to look at the way we will excuse behavior right away. And what we were talking about right before we started recording was really looking at where does this come from, perhaps, and 
what is it that makes us do these things? And I think a big part is that what I've noticed in working with a lot of my clients is that confrontation is viewed in a very negative light. And instead of it being seen as a caring act where you are upholding somebody to a standard that is respectful, that is about respecting boundaries, and that creates safety and actual security, I think the idea that confronting often does disrupt a pattern, although that pattern is dysfunctional, I think that is seen as a very negative thing and very aggressive, and it's seen as the opposite of caretaking. And so because women, I mean, not just women, but in our culture, certainly very much so the women are pushed into this caretaking role and and see themselves through that lens, it makes it hard for them to confront either when they're in a relationship themselves or when they are in a family where some of this abusive behavior is occurring. And we had uh, a a program podcast about, I think, three, four weeks ago about complicity and the whole issue about what does that mean? What are the different parts of this? And I think if we look deeper with complicity, with abuse, we come to this process that we're talking about, all the different mechanisms that really contribute to us being silent, the thoughts that are behind it. And I really like what you're saying about seeing confronting and standing up around abuse is a strong thing that's supportive in some ways, certainly to the culture, certainly to the person who's suffering it, but also to the abuser that you honestly confront their behavior and your experience of it. I think what's interesting that plays into that too is that I I see more often that clients that come in, they're able to take a stand against abusive behavior if it's Again, if it's happening to somebody that they care about, especially, you know, nieces, daughters, that type of thing. But it's much harder when it's them personally. And I think that is part of the constellation that plays into it is a sense of do I deserve this, the blame that comes through the the abusive process. And that keeps a lot of people from being able to speak out about it. On top of which, you know, having, we've talked about this so many times, but having that external support is so important because it does disrupt this system and you need to know that what you're doing is honoring. Chloe, in writing about her relationship, said that she kept quiet at the beginning because she was kind of protecting the status quo with this uh, man that he had been through a hard time. He was emotionally struggling. And she felt that she was supporting him in maintaining the structure where he was abusing her. And you're raising the point that really that, again, is not necessarily support, but it takes courage to really break out of that and to confront the behavior as we see it when we're raised to be caretakers, we're raised to be blind, and we're raised to support that type of structure. And to add to that is really the way that it it treats men is, you know, how come they are supported in maintaining their abusive behavior? How come we so easily excuse or dismiss, oh, they're having a hard time, oh, they don't know what they're doing, you know, when it's pretty clear that, you know, they still need to be held accountable for their behavior. Exactly. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about one of our our favorite references, the book Down Girl, 
And that really addresses some of the structure that's involved in keeping women down. And part of that is internal. It's in women's own heads. You know, the the part of misogyny we take in, the compliance that we really have with being complicit, being silent, and thinking we're doing a good thing, even in being silent, that we are being helpful you know, to others, and we're being caretakers by being silent, which I think it's, a, you know, 180 degrees to see caretaking as confronting and speaking out and causing disruption in your environment, really. And it's about reframing it. That's what I talk about with my clients all the time. And it's cliche with, <laughs> with therapists, right? But it's it really is reframing it because you're, instead of looking at it as, oh, I'm causing all this disruption, you're looking at it as, okay, yes, it causes this disruption, but that's what it takes to break a rigid structure, you know, and, and the rigid structure is dysfunctional. So you don't want to maintain the rigid structure. It requires a shakeup. Yeah. You and I've shared with each other, Jen, too, that one of the struggles Americans have, and I know this is listened to all over the world because we have wonderful comments from other listeners, but Americans have the, the moral lens of good and bad. It's very rigidly enforced in our country, has political outcome that's terrible, but it affects all of us personally too. And it affects this issue of confrontation and disclosure because you can be labeled a bad person the other person can be a good person. You know, the person that we expose or disclose is now a bad person. And there's not all of the nuance that's really involved in this process throughout the rest of the world. So it's something that I think makes it very hard for us to deal with a president who is an abuser or, you know, a family member, a father, a brother, cousin, that sort of thing. Well, I think it makes it more complicated, too, because a lot of times you can see that a person may have certain, may be engaging in behaviors that are very devastating and abusive, but they are not that way all the time. And that's what you talk about a lot when educating people about the cycle of abuse or staying in a bad relationship. I find myself saying all the time, well, if it was terrible all the time, it would be much easier to leave. But it's harder because you 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 keep excusing those experiences away and you want to cling to kind of the rose-colored lens. And so you're you're clinging to, oh, but they did this thing, you know, so it doesn't happen all the time. And that's how people get stuck. And that's what Chloe is writing about, that part of the time he was wonderful to her, but that was interspersed with this pain and suffering and devaluation that took away her strength. And particularly in, in her case, she was talking about the difference between the private and the public because he was becoming a much more public figure. And so that made her feel more isolated as well because she knew if I came out and spoke up against this situation, that in public, he had this great image. And so it would be very hard for people to believe what she was saying. And you're alluding to another point in this whole kind of cover up or, you know, which it really is. It's a cover up that many of us participate in of, of abuse. Um, but the whole process is one where it's difficult to speak out. We don't necessarily see it. We're fooled by some of the kindness that comes in between the lines. And we hold on to the idea 
that if we're just nice and we don't confront, it's not going to go in that direction, a negative direction. It's already in a negative direction. It's hard to see that. Yeah. And to build on that, I think, is this idea that we we naturally look to sort of how others around us are dealing with these situations and and their perceptions of them and so when you have someone who has a, a well-liked public figure it makes it much harder for you to feel like you're going to get support in dealing with whatever's going on in private and i think that can build on the isolation i think on top of that, in this situation, she happens to be much younger than him. And what I see a lot of the time is that you will have someone who is abusing, but they're abusing people who are much younger than them. And they're not abusing, you know, women that are their same age. And so that makes it harder sometimes for the women that are the same age to, to even consider that this could be possible. And much abuse, maybe all abuse, involves an element of abuse of power differential. And we talked a little bit before we started this podcast. When I was a young academic or a teacher at a medical school, there was a lot of abuse going on with faculty and chair people, vice chair, against the younger faculty the women faculty at that time, the whole group. And, you know, I certainly suffered that. And we've talked about what I did about that. But as I grew older, I saw that many of the younger women continued to experience abuse. I was now an older woman. I was treated much more fairly by men in the environment. But, you know, part of it, maybe they were afraid of me at that point, or, you know, they certainly didn't want to go up against that kind of thing. But they continued to abuse younger women, and I continued to have to deal in, in part with those situations. So I think people do abuse differently. And we're thinking about Chloe's former boyfriend. You know, he would abuse her at home. She's much younger. Yet with women in the workplace, he may look like a very wonderful and equal friend. So things are not black and white. You know, one way, you know, he's being very noble and supporting women's efforts and wearing pins and then taking it out on her at home. That's quite possible. And it's hard, I think, to see those shades, you know, those different colors. It's really not obvious when you look at a relationship, especially when we carry our good, bad lens with us. Mm -hmm. And I think the big thing in, in our podcast, if anything, is really that we highlight these conversations are so important because they counter this good bad frame. You know, it's very easy to say, oh, he's a bad person. She's a good person. But I mean, as, as we talk about it more, there are things that happen and we're all very nuanced characters. And so instead of just going, oh, okay, great you know, label this person bad, label this person good. We can see that people engage in behaviors that vary just based on the situation. And I think, I don't remember if we brought this up yet, but what it, what it was bringing up for me is one of the big things I see about why I think people are so quick to, to move towards this good bad lens is because we have a belief that good people are deserving of our caring and bad people are not. And, and so I think the burden of caring can, can, feel so heavy or overwhelming at times for people. They need a way to separate, like, okay, who deserves it and mm -hmm. who doesn't? And so it's a very quick way to be like, well, if people are all bad and they're all good, then this person, I can focus on my caring, and these people, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. 
Well, and it's not only people get caring based on whether they're good or bad. Again, the gender differential that women are supposed to provide the majority of the caring. So, you know, caring plays a key role in this good-bad dichotomy. And, uh, you know, coming from the Catholic tradition, having been raised in that, you know, the Virgin Mary or the Mother Mary was a very caring person. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, there was a lot of differential in terms of what was expected there. Sacrifice on her part for everyone and, uh, you know, raised uh, a whole generations and, you know, millennia of people to be involved in that type of perspective. Yeah, no, I think it's just really hard to look at that, though, Jenna, to see that. Yeah, I agree with you for sure. I was going to say we can probably do a whole podcast on just <laughs> caring and how that functions in in our world. But it affects how we talk about or don't talk about and how we confront abuse. Mm-hmm. And that's what we'd like our I'd like our listeners to take away today that you know you you want to care, but caring is partly confronting and dealing with the abuses that we see in our path in life. Yes, that's very much the big takeaway I would like people to take. I think there's two things. One is examine how you use the black and white lens. And I know that I do that at times too. You know, the good and bad is what we're talking about. And and then two is really looking at that other aspect because it's so important. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing this up. I know this is a little shorter than some of our podcasts. But I think it's a a really important issue, especially as we look at this whole issue around complicity, you know, and how we're all part of it and what we can do. You know, when you're faced with abuse, there you have options. Yes, I think that's important to highlight. You have options. And I think being able to reframe this idea of confronting as caring is, is going to be a paradigm shift for a lot of people. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. All right. Thank you, Lynn. Let's talk about